it was always part of the plan to put a brewery in, but for many years it, it was just a plan. It's 100% acquisition of Green Beacon. No, we had a chat with everybody. Anyone would have seen this coming a mile away. It's the passion and the, the dedication to beer and brewing. Oh, yeah. That's super simple and direct question. It's always fun to get to speak about beer. Hi, I'm Bruce News Editor Matt Kirkegaard, and that's just what we're here to do, talk about beer and the brewing industry, and have conversations with the people who make the industry what it is, and see what we can learn from them. This week on Beer as a Conversation, we meet Dr. Ron Beetson, a name that many of you would have heard about. It's not many people who get to have an impact on a country's entire industry that Ron has had on the hops industry in New Zealand. His research has been credited as having transformed New Zealand hops from a cottage industry supplying hops to New Zealand-based brewers to a sophisticated export product with more than 85% of production now exported to some of the world's leading beer-producing nations. In Nectaron, he also has a hop named after him. I was in Nelson for the first time and had the chance to speak with Dr. Beeson about his career, a career that has seen him move from research into tobacco into researching hops. I got to ask him what he loves about the industry and also where he sees hops and hop research going. It's a great and very wide-ranging conversation with somebody who is very passionate about what he does, and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Ron Beetson, welcome to Beer as a Conversation. Thanks so much for inviting us to have a chat. Well, we are long overdue and you've been on my list of people to talk to for for such a long time and then Mm. you retired, but Mm. you don't seem to be very retired for somebody. You're spending a lot of time talking about hops and still in the hop fields for someone who's supposedly retired. Yeah, well, that's true. You know, um, whether I'm doing the right thing or not, it's another story, but uh, (laughs) uh, after 50 years, I thought it was time to to move on to do something else and uh, like each towards retirement, you know, COVID sort of came in along and uh, I decided halfway through COVID it was time to move move on and I had a successor who had already started and he was doing a good job. So it's Kerry Templeton, who's a, now the, the main man in the hops in New Zealand, uh, the hop research that is. So, um, yeah, I, I basically um, stood down um, from plant and food in the end of 2021 and then I was... Um, uh, had a few months off playing golf and fishing and doing things that retired people are supposed to do, trying to keep fit. Um, and um, uh, NZ Hops came calling. They were in, in really keen to, to utilise um, some of my technical knowledge in their operation because they were, felt like they were a bit short on some of the technical aspects of, of hop production and, you know, and the specs on all the new cultivars that are coming out. And also the fact that I've been in plant and food for... Um, so long, that's my former job as a plant breeder, I, I knew the, all the material coming through the program and so they, they wanted to, rather than having to ask a third person um, you know, what the cultivars, the chemistry was they could ask me and uh, so, which is fair enough because I, I was the one that um, was the project leader at the time, so, so it's, it's been a, you know, I had six months of, of um, hiatus between um, my old job and the new one, I guess you could say <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah but you did spend a long time. I, I think you said fifty years uh, working in the mm. uh, in, in the industry. Is someone born wanting to breed plants and go into hops? Or t- tell us a little bit about your journey to how um, you came to be yeah, in, in, I, in the field. Actually, I, I'm, I'm I was born in the local town here, Motueka, and uh, and I was raised on a um, farm up the valley, about twenty kilometres up the valley. On a it was that was a mixed mixed crop farm and uh, raspberry farm and. Uh, it was um, uh, 
it was one of those things where I was always around horticulture things, and uh, you know, and I, I, I liked observing stuff as a kid. Yep. So, um, and when I went to university, I, I did an ag science degree at Massey University. And I realised halfway through that I probably should have done a horticultural science degree and, and specialised more in research rather than sort of advisory work. Um, but anyway, at the end of it, I, um, I morphed into doing one that was, that was in my last year was sort of majoring in plant science, I guess you could say. And so a little bit more of genetics and experimentation and, you know, research trials and all that sort of stuff. So um, that's, that was the initial foray into it. And I, got a, I was lucky enough to get a job here at this very site. Um, uh, and I actually worked in tobacco for the first uh, decade of my... I've seen a couple of tobacco signs around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The it's a historical... Uh, Motawaka was the tobacco town back okay. in the 1960s and 70s. And, and it's uh, obviously no tobacco grown now, but it was a big... It was the number one crop at that stage. Setting that scene of mm. growing up around here... Um, mm. On one hand, you it could be ex- expected that you go into that field, but then again, a famous son of of this area was Ernest Rutherford, who went on to do something. You know, who grew up in this area and could easily have applied his smarts to agriculture, but went mm. on to do nuclear uh, science. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, mm. What was it about hops and well, what was it about plant breeding and the agriculture that fired your imagination? Yeah, well, when I got my job in, in tobacco, I realised I, I really loved genetics for a start and uh, so I was um, you know yeah, that was really the the turning point for me I guess is that I, I realized that I, I, I it wasn't just a job it was uh, when I came here it was um, plant breeding I thought oh yeah okay I can do plant breeding uh, but then I realized I, I loved that what you do for the process of uh, deriving new cultivars it was mm-hmm. good it's a slow process but it, I, I loved it and so I went back and did my masterate uh, at Massey University, and then I did my PhD in the States. Sort of pretty much by the end of 1970s, I was you know uh, over in North Carolina State University doing my PhD, and then I um, and what was that in? Uh, that was in plant genetics, mm-hmm. and um, you know, and yeah, plant breeding and genetics really. And so generally, or yeah, was there a specific uh, crop that you were interested I, in? I, I worked in tobacco. tobacco. It was the number one crop over there at the time, and I was still working tobacco here, and uh, it's a very good training crop. It's um, one of those crops that. Uh, I think is underutilised in terms of it's got a bad rap, of course, with smoking and health. Mm-hmm. But in terms of a, a, an experimental plant, it's a, like a you know it's the lab rat of the plant world, if you like. <laughs> and uh, so there's, there's, it's um, it's got some unique characteristics. You can do all sorts of different things um, at a university level um, regarding training with it, and you know you can do lots of crosses and you, okay. can, you can do all sorts of things. It's a huge leaf plant. I don't know whether you're uh, familiar with the tobacco plant, but it's. Uh, and you can do all sorts of things. It's got. It's been measured. It's got a wonderful germplasm collection internationally. And uh, it. Um, yeah. We. I guess. Um, in terms of uh, my direction, it's that was really the. I realised at that stage. Oh gosh, you know this is this is good. And uh, so I. I um, branched out into fully fledged plant breeder, <laughs> and uh, so came back to New Zealand and started working on hops. And uh, I've loved every minute of it. So, so what was the leap from doing research into tobacco into hops? Was it that tobacco was you saw an end of the tobacco um, industry? Yeah, or? yeah. Well, I was I was on a study award over there doing my PhD, and um, basically they said, well, the hop industry, uh, the tobacco industry is going down the tubes. Uh, if you want to come back to the Nelson area and Motueka in particular. Uh, you'll have to you'll have to start working out the crops, and one of those was hops, and so that was the morphing point, if you like, from tobacco to hops. And then I, what I did was um, um, when I on the way back, I 
called into the Pacific Northwest of the US and spent a month or so there working with the researchers, understanding their genetics, uh, looking at their germplasm collections they have in Oregon in particular at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, went up to, um, it, was, it was also my first introduction really to craft brewing then too because they, they, it was pretty fledgling in the States mm. at that stage. So, um, and I, I went up to Washington and uh, participated in some of their plant breeding programs up there and tried to understand all the um, ins and outs of what you need for a good plant breeding program. I came back to New Zealand and realised that, gosh, you know, we need to smarten our act up here if we want to be successful. So I uh, imported a lot of uh, genetic material from offshore at that stage because hops are a native of North America and Europe so and Asia. Um, so uh, I needed to, we needed to smarten our act up in terms of genetic collection. So what was being grown around here at that stage? Um, at that stage, there was some triploid cultivars, which had a fairly narrow genetic base, I'd say. There was mm-hmm. three uh, cultivars, uh, Stickleback Green Bullet and Super Alpha, with their names. Yep. And Super Alpha then became known as Dr. Rudy. And, and certainly, uh, Dr. Rudy's still around, and Green Bullet's still around, but grown in very, for specific customers. Uh, Stickleback is no longer really grown. But so they were the cultivars. They were very good agronomically. Mm-hmm. And they were high alpha types, uh, which was the rage back then. When I hear those two terms, um, agronomics and high alpha, hmm. I'm hearing commodity hops. Uh, you know, lager beers. They they look at hmm. efficiently putting yep. mild yes. bitterness into lager. Um, yeah, yeah, that's essentially what it what it was. Hmm. They it was a cottage industry up until the uh, Second World War ended, and then with the plant breeding program starting up here um, just after the Second World War, um, it morphed into a sort of more of a uh, a mainstream product, if you mm. like, for for the brewers here in New Zealand. So it, uh, and also they started exporting in the early eighties. So that's where, uh, yeah, a, a lot of it was commodity. And uh, Alpha was there was no, we didn't talk about aromas and mm. and and that side of things, or even the chemistry to a large extent. It was more just um, the agronomics of the plant and the if it had high Alpha, well, yes, we we could talk about that. But so that's. Since the 1970s, we've, we've branched out and we've started looking at uh, not so much emphasis, obviously, on alpha, alpha acids, so mm. it's more on uh, aromas. And often the aromas and uh, yields don't go together well, and often the material you're using for aroma breeding is poor uh, land-race-type material from Europe, mm-hmm. and they, they're not very well adapted to New Zealand conditions. They don't perform very well. So... Um, it's you're on a hiding to nothing really with that. So we've we've since then we've developed strategies to look at um, how to get the best out of um, our germplasm collection, if you like. We've done we've we do a lot of work on parental selection of our seedling material, and we uh, our program's triploid, as you know, and um, so triploid. So just explain triploid for listeners that don't understand. Okay, yeah. Well, triploids are basically um, a plant that's got three sets of chromosomes. Uh, as opposed to the two that as opposed to the normal we do two. and most plants do? Yes, that's right, that's right. And so uh, with with triploids, obviously you can't divide three. So um, it's, um, yeah, <laughs> that's the law of, uh, law of genetics, basically. <laughs> and um, so it, they, be, they don't set seed, and that's the crucial bit. Um, mm-hmm. And seeds impart impurities in the brewing process, so they didn't really, um, that was one way of getting seedlessness. In the United States, and particularly in, in the Yakima Valley and also in Germany, in the Czech Republic, places like that, they remove male plants from their commercial Mm-hmm. Uh, operations, so that's what another way of doing it, but it wasn't so easy here. So they decided to go around down the route of um, of um, 
getting genetic seedlessness, if you like. So to do that, you actually have to create, artificially, you have to create a, a um, plant with, with four sets of chromosomes, a tetraploid. We do that naturally, of course, but we, um, it's still, um, you have to create them. They don't, you can't find tetraploids in, um, in the wild, if you like. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so, and then you, you cross a tetraploid parent with a diploid parent, you come up with one that's, so it's four, four cross two and you end up with three. Okay. So that's, that's the basics of it. Uh, I, yeah, yeah. And, I'm, I'm astounded. When I started writing about beer 20 years ago, there was so much research being done in the world of wine. And uh, you, you just sort of look at the level of understanding that there was. Um, but there was very little when it came to beer. And I, I guess that was a function of if you're just looking at, you know, alpha acid production efficiently, uh, you're interested in a lot of things like the, the, the level of research that's going to thiles and discoveries yes. around that now it sounds like you entered the industry at a at, at a fairly amazing time for somebody with that interest yeah it was a pivotal time um and one of our first um successes actually was um well nelson soven was certainly a, a big success it's been one of our that's been the cornerstone of when did it launch we launched that in 2000 so okay. and it was crossed 15 years early in 2085 so uh uh, 1985, sorry, not 2005. Oh, no, no, no. Yep. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> not quite that futuristic. Uh, so, um, anyway, um, yeah, so 1985 was when it was crossed. Uh, and we did a lot of research on it, and we realized it had something a bit unusual about it. it um, you know, when, when we selected it, it um, had these whiny flavors to it, and, and it had unusual um, traits that, you know, in, when you smelt the hop, mm. and also when you, when you brewed with it. So, at the time, of course, the brew the brewing industry was not really that um, interested in it. So, uh, and, and that's, uh, I don't want to interrupt, but I don't want to move off that too quickly because crossing that in 85, that I would imagine wasn't the characteristic that you were looking for in the cross. No. But it was, at what point after that did you start thinking this is actually something that either brewers want or did you have to convince them to try it or did craft beer catch up with this hop that you'd mm, accidentally d- d- a little developed? Bit of, a little bit in parallel actually Matt you know they um, the hop was certainly before its time in mm. terms of its traits and there was no other hop in, like it really because yeah. it had those big whiny uh, Sauvignon Blanc um, flavours to it my first yeah. experience was the uh, Napstein Reserve Lager um, mm. which was just a beautiful lager mm. Um, mm. Mm. yeah so it's um that came out in 2000, and, and we it was launched um, as part of a Lion Breweries. Actually, they um, they did a lot of research from, and they've been a very strong supporter of, of the New Zealand hop industry, along with Dominion Breweries, actually DB Breweries, and mm. they, those two used to um, come to our research meetings and take away selections and do, do trial brews for us. And uh, so they've been the backbone of, of the support, if you like, uh, for a lot of our program successes. And um, anyway, so what happened was that. Um, Lion wanted to launch this um, new product and they felt like there was a niche market in it. And they had their head brewer at the time, Malcolm Breyer, who's now since moved on from Lion. He's an independent uh, brewery consultant um, up in Tauranga area. And he, he said he wanted to um, launch the beer. So we um, away we went. We had a plot of it here at the research centre. It was about um, 200 or so plants. That was the only plants in existence. And he said, well, we we're going to launch the beer next um, next spring or whenever it was, and so what we did was um, uh, we got, obviously gave them some hops, and they brewed it over here at, at Max Brewery, which was um, they'd just taken over from uh, being an independent craft brewer um, owned organisation. So it's um, so 
So Lion immediately took it up and they brewed a beer in year 2000 called um, Aramac. And that had, uh, was the first beer of Nelson Sovin. It's, um, I've still got a bottle of it and it's got a, it's got a wonderful label. It's quite a futuristic label of a, of a, a scene on, in the Nelson area. And um, looking down the, the Rewaka Valley actually, and uh, it was done by quite a famous painter here, um, Toss Williston. Toss Wollaston, mm-hmm. and uh, he, um, the painting sort of, uh, you know, that captured my imagination, and also with the fact it was new, new hop, and uh, anyway, they had a, they, as part of the launch, they invited a whole lot of um, people from the hop industry and um, beer industry in general, as it existed then, uh, food writers, along to the launch, and that's really when it took off. It's first started gaining success really from through them and also they introduced it to their breweries and across across the ditch in Australia and um, started um, using it at their breweries in uh, out of Sydney so uh, uh, and one of the brewers at the time was a guy by the name of Doug Donnellan who became the CEO. I know young Doug Donnellan. <laughs> and Doug became uh, CEO of, of uh, later in later life he became CEO of NZ Hops so um that's really the potted history of uh, Nelson Savin, and that's really when we launched into um, realising that we had something here that was a bit unusual, mm-hmm. and why were those flavours coming through? It was, you know, thiols weren't mentioned in those no, days. No, and uh, so, and then about several years later, there was a, um, um, a Japanese brewery, uh, Sapporo Brewery, and one of the guys that used to come down here and look at his hop selections down here with us, um, he... Uh, uh, produced a paper with um, the first thiol uh, research that was going on in uh, Nelson Sovin. Mm-hmm. And so that from then on, it's, it's it's taken leaps and bounds. And our program is really is now heavily focused. We don't really worry about alpha acid anymore. We've got high alpha selections, certainly, but uh, we don't specifically breed for high alpha or um, things, you know, agronomics is, is important, but the most important thing for us is flavour. Yep. And uh, flavour in the beer, obviously, and, and not just the the smell of the hop. But that wasn't always. The, again, going back, you discovered this hop that you weren't aiming for. You know, these days brewers are crossing for some of the characteristics that Nelson Sovin expresses. You found the the the, the lotto ticket mm-hmm. with that one. Do, do you ever think back to the to the hundreds of thousands of crosses that were discarded? Um, mm. you, you know. For, for having those sorts of characteristics uh, and think, gee, what did we throw out? Um, yeah, well, I've, one, one word of advice I'd give to any plant breeder is uh, whether it's, it's hops or whatever it is, you know, don't look back. Because <laughs> okay. you're going to have some, have some pretty bad uh, effects on your mental health, <laughs> I think. And, you know, so, you, you know, once the plant's out of the ground and gone, you know, you, you can't really, I mean, you can't get it back for a start. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, the short answer is, um, you know, and I've told my successor, Kerry, too, you know, don't look back. Okay. So, um, and, you know, if you've got winners and you, you're backing them, you back them. Yeah. And uh, it's just like whatever, any sport or whatever it is, you know, you've got to back what you, what you know, what's in front of you. So, uh, yeah, we've, our program's been refined quite a lot. We got a um, pilot brewing plant in 2014 as part of our government-funded project. And it was supported by the um, NZ Hops mm-hmm. Co-op, and they actually purchased the plant. We decided to house it and run it, yep. and it's still in existence now. It's um, and Kerry Templeton's doing a great job in managing that whole process. Um, it's uh, a lot of our material goes through that brewery now, and um, you know hundreds of different selections e- each year. So we 
it's a cornerstone of our program now, as well as the hop machine, which uh, we purchased in the mid-80s as well. Um, you know, they're the two things that have made the program hum, I think. And um, we, yeah, we, we've, every year we do about 2,000 seedlings and put them into the field. We may get one success every 5,000 plants when you look at it over the years. If you yep. average it over 20 years, it's probably about one plant in, in um, every 5,000 we grow. So there's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of, there's a lot of potential um, winners out there. But, we, you know, as I said, you know, you, you can't keep second-guessing yourself. But it's also not just flavour or alpha acids or aroma. It's agronomics, as you said. You know, you, you can't have every variety ripening at the same part no, of the harvest window. No. You, you know, mm. th- there's a whole lot of other things. Yeah. Um, you know, yield is important. Yeah, there's a big push on um, agronomics, of course, you know, with growers um, being being a co-op. They, mm. You know, growers are more interested in in getting them, you know, sort of um, crops that are very, very good yielders rather than they don't really rate the flavour quite so much. But uh, obviously the two have to be, um, you know, considered when, when, you, when you're getting around to doing um, the push into the breweries and things. So so we've specialised, as I said, with the cra- little um, pilot brewing plant. Uh, we do an initial run over the seedlings and, and selections. And then once we think we've got some winners... We then clone them up and put them into bigger trials, replicated trials, measure their agronomic performance, uh, machine harvesting characteristics, seedlessness, and right through the chemistry, and also, and most importantly now, you know, we look at brewing. I, I find it remarkable, again, I, I don't have your level of experience in that particular industry, but just as somebody who covers the industry, walking out into a field today, uh, Superdelic has just been released, one of the, mm-hmm. the ones that I would imagine would have been crossed uh, 12, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, 2012, yep. 2012. Yep. Um, and <laughs> you're used to reading a lot of marketing uh, in, in my job. You know, you get sent mm-hmm. a lot of media releases that promise a lot of things mm-hmm. and you become a little bit cynical about things, but you walk out into a field of Superdelic, rub some of those uh-huh. those hops, uh-huh. and I, I think as Nick, the grower, said, you know, like, you know, I, I read this thing, a spec sheet, and so I said, oh, yeah, sure. And then as soon as you rub those Superdelic hops, so Superdelic, yep. Yep, mm-hmm. um, Superdelic hops, the smell is just bored lollies and mm-hmm. bubble, you know, it, it, just so intensely that. Yep. yep. How, how does it feel... You know, to to go from a, a, you know non-aromatic alpha hops to something that you go, oh, you know, it smells of people are pretty excited. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh no, it's it's a great feeling. And um, you know, I've, you know, I wouldn't say I've got the world's best nose. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, there's many people on the planet that actually have got a really good nose for describing I, things. I don't describe that. I, I suggest that I do either. But it was yeah. so obvious. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, that one. That one certainly does. And uh, and I've you know well, obviously I slicked the jolly thing anyway. So <laughs> I, 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 it stood out for me. Yep. And it also also stood out because it it um, looked like it was going to be an impressive yielder. Um, and the cone shape. And I thought, oh yes, that would be good for machine harvesting. And um, yeah, there are a lot of other attributes obviously with it. It's uh, it it's the first hop we've released. Uh, that we've done the cross a, a little bit differently. We've used a, 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 the male plant as the actual the dominant one, if you like. Okay. Um, that's got that's um, providing two thirds of the chromosomes to the the progeny. Uh, usually we do it the other way around. The female gives the two thirds, and so we we used a German cultivar called Hersbrucker Pure, and crossed it to one of our male plants that we'd done a lot of selection work with. So it was a tetraploid, in other words, and we've. We uh, we'd selected it because it had interesting agronomics, 
and also some of its progeny we'd tested and they proved to be really good. Um, the, the daughters of the of the plant, if you like, um, the triploid seedlings from the, the tetraploid male were, were good. And yep. so we, we realised that we were on a, onto a winner. And so um, we decided to start doing more of those crosses. And it, it's hard work and it's not terribly efficient in terms of plant breeding either if you do your Mendelian genetics you only get one plant in six is going to be a female so you have to devise methods to to test them the females before they're put in the field so okay. we've got a sex marker we use run over the plants and uh, in this in the nursery and um, and we, we put out what are supposedly females it's not a hundred percent perfect but it's it, it picks out about 18 90 percent of the of the um, male plants, which you don't really want at that stage. You just want the female triploid seedlings. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's just different techniques. And we we keep on doing a lot of parental selection work and a lot of um, population, what we call population improvement, without boring everybody with the details <laughs> of it. But, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's the, it's, again, it's, a, it's a, an essential part of our pro- program is, is to do that. And, you know, we've, you've got to do those basics right before you can get the the end result. So it's a, it's a, it's the preparation, isn't it? You know, yeah. like like a lot of things in life, you know, it's the preparation that's the not uh, yeah perspiration. Ninety nine percent perspiration. Yeah, that's right. So, <laughs> and that's and right. in the case yeah. of I, I guess Nelson Sullivan, a little bit of luck along the way as well, and yeah. timing. Yes, yeah. Nelson Sullivan was you know certainly when we crossed it, we didn't know that we were, we didn't specifically cross it because we mm. thought ah oh, this one's going to have you know that funnel funny aroma of um, grapes and. And the likes, and you know, so black currants and those sort of flavours. But um, we knew that we, we knew that we had genetic material that was different, yes. and uh, so that was the key to it. So we are, um, I guess, that's our hallmark. We've we've had this slogan, uh, you know, hops with a difference, and we don't want to be in the same space as the Germans or the Americans, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's one of the the things. And we haven't followed in our genetics. We haven't really used material that they've used extensively. Both those programs have used largely used um, material coming out of um, um, the program, which uh, out of Salmon's program in um, UK. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they've used a lot of uh, material that, w- that was crossed way back in the early part of the 20th century. So, uh, so it's yeah. a conscious mm. effort to be different as opposed to the terroir of uh, New Zealand versus Australia versus uh, Yakima. Um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. That's a, that's a good point. Yeah, um, terroir is certainly becoming a much more... Um, uh, important thing I guess you know people's awareness of climate change and, mm. and terroir um, I tend to think the the big factors in terroir are really in what the grower does in, okay. at the kiln and so you can with, rather with than hops seeing, or plants generally? No with, with hops um, so you know with grapes you know you can see that they've got a specific soil type and they use a specific rootstock and a clone mm-hmm. that, uh, and maybe there's a broad acre population of that whereas uh, in hops you know you can have uh, the same cultivar um, and you can be um, using it um, in reasonably close proximity but they'll the growers will um, treat them a lot differently in terms of their kilning and, mm. and growing culture so I guess in the wider definition of terroir yes there there is that's a factor yeah. but um, we don't really breed hops for the terroir, if that's... that's, that's oh, well, well, no, but just whether the difference between... Because New Zealand has a fairly distinctive aroma and a dif- dis- yeah, distinct flavour. I wasn't mm. sure whether... Mm. It, it was, as you just said, you were wanting to breed something that was different to create a market position as yeah. opposed to it just happened that the hops that naturally come out of New Zealand 
have a different character? Yeah, well, I think it's a bit of bit of everything, really. I mean, I think it's the material that came into the country and mm-hmm. the stuff that we've used in our breeding program has been quite uh, a lot different than what mm-hmm. has been used in other breeding programs. So, yes, there is a distinct genetic factor there. And I do also believe that our climate is, is adding to that. Um, you know, we've got high UV, for instance, and so that could be changing some of those secondary plant metabolites that, that hops produce in, in abundance. So there could well be... Um, tweaks there mm-hmm. but it's mostly genetics I believe and, and you know it's just the fact that we've followed a different path and um, that's the main to me that's the main change when we've done studies on the difference in the chemistry for instance on between um, the regions here over years the outstanding difference is always uh, the genetics not um, the soil type or mm-hmm. the or, or the district I guess in a nutshell that's my theory on it anyway it's there's no definitive answer and and i'm i may well be wrong about the two are but it might i mean we've got students for instance we've got a phd student at a tag university looking mm-hmm. at the difference between uh, different regions of new zealand with yeah. the hops um and also um the two are within the local area or it's not really two are but looking at the differences in cultivar mm-hmm. uh, chemistry and trying to figure out ways of uh, looking at um uh, simpler ways of measuring these things. For instance, the thiols. Well, you know, people bandy that word round, and it's and it's a very complex subject, and it's very very that. difficult to pin anyone down who's actually doing it properly. And mm. and uh, uh, for instance, if somebody asks me what what are what's the thiol content of superdelic, I don't know. <laughs> and um, uh, that's to be for the future. And I hope that somebody from New Zealand is actually the person that uh, first writes the paper. Unlike Nelson Savin when it was a Japanese person that did it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, where, where do you stand then on you know the, the idea of hop selection? It, it, it's uh, you know brewers going out into the field and choosing from a specific block um, over a, you know a block a kilometre down. You know, mm. it, it, does that come down to kilning? Does that come down to treatment? Or um, well, it could be microclimate differences. I'm not doubting mm. it, but um, I tend to think that it's um, been over overestimated. You know the, the importance of block A versus block B on the same farm but you know it, it may be just the timing of the mm-hmm. when they harvested more than anything else and, and that certainly could can have a bearing on the flavour yeah. I mean you 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 stand alongside somebody uh, we've had people here in New Zealand uh, um, recently from the United States you know looking at um, hop selections and, and they've um, you know and, and it's amazing to me that these people are really good at, at telling uh, good hops from not so good hops or ones that they prefer for their yes. sales. And it just amazes me. They can just go along a row of what I think are pretty much identical in terms of their smells. And they can say, no, that one over there is the one I want. I don't want these other three. And um, and it, it it's – so, you know, there's a lot of expertise there. And so, you know, I'm not saying that the terroir is, doesn't exist. It's mm-hmm. just – and if that's a definition of terroir, well – that's good then, you know. Okay. So you know, there's there's differences in the hops on farms, but again, I don't think it's down to the growing of it. It's really well, it's down to the, you know, how the that farmer actually treats those hops, yep. and um, so that's the important thing to me. Go, to go off on a bit of a tangent. You researched into tobacco. Did you smoke? No, I never smoked. Never smoked. No, I never smoked. But but you do drink beer. Yes, thank goodness. <laughs> no, it was just something that was. Uh, I was just sort of wondering whether yeah. it was. You know, yeah. you can yeah. do it as a purely intellectual exercise and not consume the product that comes from the thing that you uh, do. But yeah. I know that you do love a bit. Uh, yes, well, 
of course, back in the 1960s and 70s, they didn't uh, select the, the cultivars on there, uh, the tobacco cultivars on there, smokeability, if you like. It was more, more on sort of agronomics yep. and um, disease resistance. So that's what the program was focused on. Right. And uh, so it was, we grew um, fluke tobacco here in New Zealand. Okay. So like what they used to grow in Virginia and North Carolina and, and Georgia and South Carolina. So um, thank goodness I do like beer. Though. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, a, a beer has changed. Not only have hops changed, mm. and hops have changed because beer has changed. Mm. What, what, do you, what, what beers do you enjoy now? Do you, has, have your taste progressed, or you, uh, did you love a good hazy IPA? Oh, I definitely lo- I love hazies. Yes, okay. I, I do love hazies. Uh, but I, I do like... Um, you know, hoppy beers in general. Which new, a Is lot that of New Zealand. Pri- like, it, 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 has your taste changed? Or I think you know? as I got older, my taste both okay. have changed. And I, but I don't think they're as good as what they were when they were younger <laughs> in terms of being defining what's the mm. difference between beers. So I do like um, hazies. I do like IPAs. I, I like pilsners. Um, generally, so you can tell that I, I'm a pale ale person, really, and, and perhaps a strong pilsners. Um, but I do, uh, you know, I've travelled to... Germany and other places and where they have got traditional beers in various places and they don't change for seems like centuries mm-hmm. and um, I, I like some of those beers there I love the beers and um, you know you know nothing like a good Guinness in Ireland you know if you go to Ireland you, you don't drink anything you, you'd be a fool to drink anything else but Guinness <laughs> and so um, so you know yeah and I like English ales the cask ales they have over there so I haven't got any specific style but I guess if I had to pick a favourite out at the moment it would be Hazy's yep and I'm starting to embrace a little bit of the zeros as well. It's, okay. um, um, you know, just for health reasons more than anything else. And um, the we've got a, a a man here at the moment on the on the tour, in fact, who's uh, who brews nothing else but um, zero beers. Oh, who's that? And it's uh, Grant Courtner and okay. uh, Gaunter. Sorry, um, he's uh, the State of Play Brewery and up in Auckland. Okay, and, uh, yeah. He's he's going going gangbusters with his. Um, I have to say that I love I I. I for for a variety of reasons, I drink hop water instead of mm. alcohol-free beer because mm-hmm. I still get my taste of hops, but yeah. then I don't have to take on the uh, kilojoules or anything like that. No, well, that's I guess that's what I'm thinking about too, but um, I, I don't think it's been successful, I might add, but <laughs> <laughs> it's probably all the chips and other things I eat in between it <laughs> and all the high-alcohol beers that I'm drink, drinking as well. But, I mean, to taste a good um, – in our brewing, uh, pilot brewing plant, for instance, we um, we brew a pretty standard um pale ale recipe and with the malt dialed down as, mm-hmm. as much as possible and so we want to emphasize the beer we dry hop the beer and um we uh we've got the uh, alcohol content's around about five to five and a half usually yeah maybe a little bit higher sometimes um and we the bittering units are up around 25 30 and we've um, basically use a bittering hop in the in the kettle and then we do the ferment and then we put the dry hops uh, selections into the, the little kegs and evaluate them. We, we dry up at 10 grams per litre there mm-hmm. or with the with the dry hop. So, um, so but it, it's good fun. I, I, to be quite honest, I don't do any of the brewing myself. I, I know how the process works, but there's enough hands um, <laughs> available to do that for some strange reason. And uh, so, But no, it, it's, it's, been, um, it's been a real pleasure i think over the years to to, you know, to work alongside some of these uh, uh brewers and also the researchers as well you know so and, and we've got a great team here at um, plant and food research in in motueka um you know that they've done a 
great job in um, helping develop these selections. So it's not, it hasn't just been me over the years, it's been a lot of other people in behind. And right through to the, the front desk people, they're all, they're all very friendly. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's a, been a great working environment for me. And uh, I've loved getting up in the morning and coming out to, to work at Plant Food Research when I was employed here. Yeah. Now, I'm probably not so welcome now, but I'm, I'm probably <laughs> stepping on a few people's toes. And well, you're a playing tour guide today. So. <laughs> yes. Uh, but, you know, I've, I've told um, Kerry Templeton, the, the project manager, and he said, oh, no, he says, no, I want you to come out here. I want you to. I want, I want to ask you questions and things. So, so that's kind of nice that he he feels like I'm not sort of treading all over him. So um, you know, which you can do if you hang around. Um, you know, yeah, too closely. Yeah, yeah, yes, too closely. Yeah. So, well, two two last questions, and I guess oh. developing on on that theme a little bit. Um, it, it was wonderful to be out in the hop fields this morning, watching as you led the the the, the, the tour and talking. But you know, hearing the growers refer to Nectaron and seeing mm. the person that that hop is named after, um, mm. how, how does it feel to be out in a field of hops named after yourself? Um, you know, quite <laughs> apart from having been involved in the the breeding of it, but mm. constantly hearing your name. Yeah, yeah. No, I sort of, I'm, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It's it's one of those. Things we I'm sort of getting used to it, but when I first came up with the name Nectron, I thought, "Oh God, I'm not too sure whether I like this because people are going to I'm, I'm going to be embarrassed about it." But I've I've got past that stage. I, was, okay. I, I will say, and but I um I don't so much love hearing you know the fact that they call it Nectron. It's it's more the fact that it's it's a cultivar that's been developed by Plant Food Research yep. for the New Zealand um, co-op, and um, we've. You know, we've come up with a, with a winner, so to speak, and that—that's what gets me excited. And and to hear brewers on the bus talking about so fondly about the the use of nectar on, yeah, and not only from New Zealand but Australia and, and you know UK and, and USA on this tour. So it's been really, it's good. It's really good. Now I haven't heard anybody say a bad thing about nectar on yet, so which is kind of nice. <laughs> oh, of course, but at the same, t- you know, no, no, I, I, I do hear your humility about um, and, and slight embarrassment at having a hop named after you. But at the same time, I see people who brewers seek out, like uh, Matt Brindleson, who's who's mm. on the tour, mm. um, and most brewers would seek him out for a selfie, and he sought you out for a sel- uh, you know, to have a selfie in front of a field of ne- oh, yes, that's hops. right, and, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, like that's that, yeah. that that's. After a career of doing something, having mm. that right level of recognition um, must be nice. Oh yeah, it's great, and and uh, you know, and I, I've developed a lot of good friendships over the years with brewers, and uh, Matt's one of those. I've known him for quite a few years now, and so and we're going to do a collab beer up in the in uh, California in the middle of May. So nice. with New Ze- using New Zealand hops, and uh, so that's good. So yeah, that's the sort of relationships I like. I like that one on one, and it's probably one of those things where I've moved on from solid plant breeding career to more of a sort of um, you know ambassadorial role which I've got mm. in making sure that the the growing industry is doing well you know I, I go out and advise growers um, you know help them make decisions about what to pick and if they want to listen to me and um, so you know which is good kind of kind of nice to be rung up and said oh do you mind coming and by and having a look at your our crop of nectar on and you know when, what do you think it's ripe and um and you know, so and you know, that's, so that that phase of it is is really good. And there's some good people out there in the brewing into uh, the growing industry as well as the brewing industry yep. in New Zealand, Australia, and all the people I've met from uh, in Australia have been really top notch in terms of their interest in what's going on over here. And um, it's it's very encouraging that you know your your hops are loved offshore as well as 
in New Zealand. So it's uh, kind of neat. That's, that's the thing that gives me a, a real kick. And there's a big part about the, the hops that take New Zealand to the world. Mm. Um, the, the idea of New Zealand, not just the flavour of New Zealand, mm. um, that, that creates an awareness of New Zealand globally through, mm. through beer, which must be you know, a, a much broader role. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, you know, because you know we are a, a, a little dot on the uh, on at the bottom of the South Pacific, um, so it's uh, yeah, I, it, I think it's surprised a lot of people that New Zealand is quite well recognised for its um, hops, hop cultivars, and you know, internationally, so and thought of quite highly. So it's um, it, yeah, it is, it's it's quite um, that's quite humbling for me anyway, personally. Um, and you know the overall thing about New Zealand Inc. You know the the lack of pest and diseases here in the hops, coupled with the Southern Hemisphere production like Australia's got, mm-hmm. uh, and then you've got the unique cultivars. You know the way we breed them, uh, separate. You know the genetics is different. Uh, we're adding different flavours to beer. You know it's all it's all positive stuff I think, and uh, a lot of it's sort of come together in the last um, you know two decades really since Nelson Sovin was been re- released, and uh, so. Yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful. I, I said on the bus today when I was giving a, a bit of a spill to everybody, uh, you know, I'd love to do this all over again. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and that brings me to my last question is, as your career does, you know, wind down and you enter an ambassadorial role, what do you see that excites you for the next generation of hop breeders and the, the next generation of hop development? Where do you see it going? Oh, I, I think understanding the chemistry is, you know, it's a chemical factory, really, the mm. the, the hop plant. So understanding that, that chemistry. And a lot of the things we measure, you know, I, I've often wondered why we measure them because they, they're benchmark um, traits, if you like, but they don't, we don't understand the, how they um, push on into flavours of beers. So... Understanding the chemistry um, would be a big thing, you know, right at the um, molecular level, if you like, and um, possibly using more molecular tools in the in the breeding program. Um, you know, that's a big ask. I think you know, I can't see that it's going to happen um, in the next decade or so. But it's uh, it's certainly understanding the chemistry of it is is a big thing, and that that's what I think would would be really exciting. F- to, to, to know, you know, what are these styles, what the hell, the combinations of them. I mean, the plants have, uh, seems to be full of them. Mm. And, uh, well, yeah, they're in microscopic amounts, but they're very um, important to the flavour of beer. And then um, how they work in the brewing process, I guess, is the, is the next step from that research. Yeah, you know, how they interact with yeasts. And, you know, the, you know the, some yeasts are better at mm. promoting them and maybe the malts as well. So, you know, getting good research programs, you know, I'm still a researcher at heart. So, you know, I've been trying to push um, the uh, plant and food to, to, to do more research in, in collaboration with um, universities who have got students, uh, you know, have got really good equipment at the universities mm-hmm. to do understand chemistry components. Um, as I said, we've got a PhD student uh, working on chemistry at the moment. Um, and I think that's, the basic understanding is always something that, scientists want to want to want to know it's uh it's a uh, that's what we're here for really well, and, uh, and, and there is so much that i would uh, i'd love to disappear down the rabbit hole of advanced hop products and the extracts and oh, some of some of yeah. those things but yeah. uh, i have taken you away from the tour for long enough already today uh, looking at the time it's, okay. uh, mm. uh, dr ron beaton thank you very much for this conversation hopefully uh, we, we we won't be able to do it in person uh, probably uh, next time but even if we can uh, you know sort of take a little bit further uh, by uh, by skype or something like that yeah whatever yeah you know, i'm happy to do it and so much appreciated you 
taking the time to interview me. So, so that's great. Thanks very much, man. Pleasure. And that was Dr. Ron Beetson. If you like this conversation and would like to make sure that we can continue to deliver podcasts like this one, help us out. If you're a business that wants to reach professional brewers and brewery owners, we think we're the best way to do that. We have the conversations that the industry listens to, and they can listen to your messages as well. Shoot through an email to sam at brewsnews.com.au to find out how you can advertise. Also, there are ways you can support us as a listener or just as a fan. You can find links to those in the show notes. I won't go through them again. And we'll be back again this Friday with Brews News Week, diving deeply into all of the news of the week.